Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We go behind the headlines. Once again, the political and legal issues surrounding Governor Eric Greitens are front and center. Joining me in studio is St. Louis Public Radio political reporter Jason Rosenbaum. As has been the case often in recent weeks, the Greitens saga has become even more complicated. But first, Jason, welcome and congratulations on your appearance on 1A today. Uh, thank you very much. Complicated, it may, may be a uh... Maybe understating things, Don. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice job. Thank uh, you. I, I mentioned the complications, as did you, and uh, there's now something else, a little more hot water for the governor. Washington University is taking a look. My understanding from reading the St. Louis Post-Dispatch article is that a grant that was meant to do research for one of Greitens' books instead went to pay somebody who was laying the groundwork for his campaign. Uh, I just read that article right before getting here. And I have a statement from Julie Flory from WashU. The issue just recently came to our attention as part of the Missouri House of Representatives investigation. As a grantee, we take accountability seriously. We are looking into the matter to ensure the funds were used appropriately. So there you go. Yet, yeah. yet another link in this web of things. Yeah. I, I was trying yeah. to think of the proper metaphor, but I think it was mixing things up there. Well, you know, as I understand it, uh, the suspicion is that a grant that was awarded him to help write a book mm-hmm. um, was actually used for campaign purposes. And, and I think the reason this came out is through the, the transcript of Danny Lobb that was included in the second House com- Committee report. Now, to, just to be clear, Danny Lobb was subpoenaed by the Attorney General's office and was required to answer questions under oath about uh, what happened as far as the Michigan Continues fundraising list and how it was obtained. So it's kind of collateral damage from that entire accusation. Not many people know that Danny Lau, but from what I've been reading this week and probably that you have written, is that uh, the governor apparently has thrown him under the bus with regard to this. It was according to Lau, if you, if you read the report, what happened was that Austin Chambers, who for all intents and purposes, helped run uh, Greitens' 2016 campaign as a major political figure with Greitens, called Laub up and basically misled him into basically taking the fall for obtaining the Mission Continues list. And that's something Laub stridently objects to. He does not believe that's what happened. If you look at the report – um, the report basically says that Greitens got the list in 2014 as he was transitioning out mm-hmm. from being in leadership in the mission continues. And then somebody who worked for a company that he ran, the Greitens Group, then sent that list to Lobb and another political operative. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, because Chambers works for a company that was founded by Nick Ayers, who's vice president Mike Pence's chief of staff. And it provides the question, like, how much did Ayers know about how much this list was used? Uh, Chambers told me that Ayers wasn't involved in, like, the uh, consent order that I alluded to earlier, which is when, in 2017, Greitens admitted to the Missouri Ethics Commission that he used the list for political purposes and paid a small fine. And that's the document Mm -hmm. that uh, Laub was implicated in. As you mentioned, it's very complicated. Oh, yeah. But I think it comes down to did Greitens obtain this list illegally and use it for political purposes? That's going to be the focus of the second trial that 
will likely happen in the coming weeks and months. And Love's not going to be a happy camper when he testifies. I don't know. <laughs> but, but again, Lobb didn't, didn't come forward voluntarily. He was subpoenaed. Mm-hmm. So that should, be, that should be noted that he did not have an agenda. He's not trying to get back at the governor. His attorney, Sandy Boxerman, emphasized that to me uh, very clearly yesterday that um, he, he answered the questions because he had to. Well, it's getting deep into the weeds as we uh, as we look at this. But let's let's go back to uh, to yesterday's news uh, and what's going on in Jefferson City. I mean, it's really beginning to look like the like the legislature is very well poised to impeach this fellow. It's it's unprecedented. How many times have I said it's unprecedented many. since January? But I mean, it, they've never called themselves in a special session yeah. before. And there's never been an instance where a Missouri governor has gone through the impeachment process. Um, and I, I, when I found out how many signatures the House received, because, again, just for our listeners, impeachment means just sending it to the second step, which is a trial by seven j- judges. The House only needs to vote by a majority to vote for impeachment. Um, if that's what the House committee ends up recommending, it's 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 a pretty low bar to go over. Mm-hmm. You only need like, I don't know, 35, 37 Republicans and all the Democrats to get the impeachment to happen. There are 114 Republicans. So you don't really need a large percentage of the Republicans for this, to occur, for this to happen. And um, there there are certainly things that could happen that influence that decision. He could get acquitted of felony invasion of privacy. It's it's possible that there could be more insight into who paid Al Watkins. If it's found out, for example, that let's just say low-income housing tax credit developers ended up being the source of the money that paid Watkins and the ex-husband that revealed the story was really a pawn to get back at Greitens for freezing that program – which is what a lot of people suspect after the, the events of this week. I don't know if that changes the calculus, but it, it probably isn't good for impeachment. But again, the bar's low. Yeah. And regardless of how this entire situation came about, Greitens is responsible for his own actions. And at the very least, he he, he admitted to being unfaithful to his wife. At the very worst, he is accused of some pretty heinous things um, in that first House report, which he's denied. So he he didn't set himself well. He didn't set himself up well, to, to put it mildly. And he's also been accused of lying with regard to uh, to the uh, campaign, uh, the donor list and that sort of thing. He, he, he yes. Yeah. You mentioned Al Watkins, who is the attorney for the husband of the woman yes. in this case. Uh, he has revealed the source for half of the hundred thousand dollars he received. Fifty thousand—that's the Missouri Times. Uh, well, owner. Th- he just revealed who brought him the money. Uh, okay, ah. uh, Fawn, who is the Missouri Times publisher, hmm. was the person that brought him fifty thousand dollars in cash. Now, Fawn has said that it was his money to buy tapes. Well, Watkins himself has said that that money was to represent was likely for legal representation of the ex-husband and others. I'm pretty sure he said those things under oath during his deposition. Um, and there are court filings saying that that money was not to buy tapes, as Fawn said, but was for legal representation. So somebody's not telling the truth. And a lot of people want to know the, the, if, if it 
was not Fawn's money, where that money came from. Because, again, Mm -hmm. I understand that this is a side issue. And there are a lot of Greitens detractors pushing back at why people shouldn't get to the bottom of this and should only focus on the Greitens maladies. But, again, there are two reasons why people should care. If the affair was revealed as a way to usher Greitens out of office and then achieve a different policy outcome, because Mike Parson, the lieutenant governor, is a big fan of the low-income housing tax credit program, and Greitens is not, and the reason I keep mentioning this is Fawn has pretty deep connections to people involved with that entire situation, then I don't know. I, I, I think people and legislators need to know about it. But more importantly, the ex-husband came forward to KMOV and said that he was coming forward because he was upset with the way Greitens treated his ex-wife. When it's been revealed from the woman's own testimony to the House that this man he apparently was very vindictive towards his ex-wife. Um, and if if he decided to come forward at the behest of an interest group and not because of his upsetness about what Greitens did to his family, then he's potentially ruined this woman's life for 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 reasons that I, I think are unconscionable. So I think that people need to be held accountable if that's true. And I don't think the public deserves to have a false narrative about why this came forward. So that you can tell I'm really passionate about that. It's not only for public policy, but it's because this is a, this is a chain of events for the woman involved, which is life-altering for both her and her kids. And I, I don't think we, we can really – I don't think we can really sweep that under the rug just because people don't like Greitens and that this development may not – help in, in certain ways. It's truly a Shakespearean saga. There's no question about it. It's Sh- the tangled web. Oh, my God. Sh- Shakespeare or I don't know. Machiavelli maybe. Ma- I, I'm, I'm trying to think of Final Fantasy, yeah. Final Fan- like the Final Fantasy role-playing games, House of Cards when it was right. actually good. Now it's kind of bad, but yeah. let's not go there. Let, let's go back to the special session. That is scheduled for May 18th. Yes. There is significance in the timing uh, in a couple of ways, one of which is it's a, it'll immediately follow the end of the session. Right. And also it comes four days after the beginning of the Greitens trial, so it gives them an opportunity to see how that goes as well. I, I think so, but from, <clears throat> from listening to House Speaker Todd Richardson – um, it's also giving the committee that will recommend some sort of punishment more time to decide. Right now they have until May 18th. My understanding from listening to Todd Richardson, the Speaker of the House, is they're going to have more time beyond May 18th to investigate the facts and come up with some sort of conclusion and some sort of recommendation. Um, so there's obviously a lot to sift through. Um, one thing that I brought up connected to the Watkins situation that I think that legislators may want to do is um, if they really want to find out who was the source of that money that ended up paying Al Watkins, and they have a they have reasonable evidence to say that it wasn't Fawn's money, but it might have been, again, low-income housing tax credit interest, they can bring lobbyists and developers associated with that industry. They could subpoena them, force them to answer questions under oath. Um, I don't think attorney-client privilege will, will matter then. But it would not surprise me if there's a lot of pressure on legislators not to do that because, you know, that they, they want their tax credits back, mm. I would assume. 
I wonder if the House Committee is going to want to take a look at this Washington University thing as well and just I, add I that think so. to the pile. You I know? think they want to look at that, and I think they probably want to find out who's paying Greitens legal bills too. And I, I want to emphasize this because I have talked about Al Watkins and how he was paid. We don't know how Greitens legal bills have been paid either. We may eventually find out because the nonprofits that were created eventually have to file disclosures. But who knows when that's going to happen? Who knows if like another entity will be shown to pay for, for the legal bills? I, I, I don't I, – I, I want to just make it clear. As a reporter, I want to find out everything. And and the governor has been very opaque when it comes to his campaign finances, how he paid for his inauguration, how he's paying for his legal bills. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. And people should know how those things are being paid for if it's influencing how he's governing. It, it's it's clearly a bigger issue than how Al Watkins was, was paid. But that doesn't mean that how Al Watkins pay, was paid is not an issue, especially if involved an interest group that wanted to push Greitens out to achieve a different policy outcome. Other elements that have taken place this week that are interesting is Judge Burleson has ruled, <clears throat> pardon me, that there will be uh, no cameras in the courtroom. I don't think that that has surprised too many people. I, I don't think so. And, you know, it's up to the judge in Missouri about whether they televise certain trials. I think in his view uh, is a criminal trial rather than a civil trial. He cited a security risk about bringing cameras in when there's a sitting governor. Um, and then uh, Mark Sableman, who's an attorney for KMOV and also happens to be St. Louis Public Radio's sure. attorney, uh, said that the, the woman woman's attorney objected to having cameras in the courtroom. So I think that he took all those things into consideration. Burleson is going to um, consider having audio and still photography in, in, to document the trial. Um, we'll have to see if that ends up occurring. But, you know, Burleson has been a stickler about not allowing cell phones out when uh, the trial, uh, the, the hearings happen, which is a restriction that I obviously respect because it's the judge's decision there. And if, if I have to write about what was said in longhand, I will try to improve my handwriting mm -hmm. after May 14th. I wonder if uh, if they decide to have still cameras in the courtroom, they're just abandoning the no abandoning the notion of keeping the woman's identity uh, classified. It, it depends. I mean, the judge could say you can photograph certain people, but not photograph the woman, and it, it'll be up to journalistic outlets to decide that. At at this point, like we're not identifying the woman, and therefore we're not identifying the mm -hmm. ex-husband who I was pretty critical of just now. Um, it, again, you've asked me that question before, yeah. and it's not one that I want to make in a vacuum. And at this point, we're, we're not identifying either one. And that's kind of a, a higher pay grade, making that decision. It's one I respect. Yeah. There certainly be plenty of cameras outside the court building looking for... I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, there has been... Pretty much every every day here so far in St. Louis. Sure. The uh, as time winds down here, we've only got a little over a minute left. Uh, the judge also has to make some decisions in the next couple of days with regard to excluding certain evidence. Right, and one of them is whether the woman would testify or not. Yeah. And and the backstory is that the woman was interviewed by prosecutorial investigator William Tisby. Tisby is in hot water because he apparently he allegedly made false statements during a deposition. He then took the Fifth Amendment when he did the redo deposition that was kind of the caveat to continuing the trial. 
And so the Creighton's uh, defense attorneys want all the all the witnesses interviewed by Tisby excluded. And we'll see if that occurs. I think people I've talked to off the cuff have have some questions about whether that would happen. But um, it's something to look forward to next week. I think Monday is uh, – people are pointing to Monday for a judge ruling on that. Yes. Jason, thank you so much for being with us. I know you've had a long day already being on 1A and all of that in here, but thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Up next, 1A's Joshua Johnson. He has just wrapped up two days of broadcasting here. Back in a moment, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.